queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Plourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Let me show you how this is done. First thing, hold the glass up and examine the wine against the light. You're looking for color and clarity. Just get a sense of it, okay? I'll go. Ah. Thick, thin, watery, syrupy. Okay? Okay. All right. Now, tip it. A little wine What's tasting in the great film Shut Sideways. It's a story about wine and the human condition. Stick your nose in it. Don't be yeah. shy. Really get your nose right in there, really. <laughs> a little citrus. Maybe some strawberry. Mm. Passion fruit. Mm. And, oh, there's just, like, the faintest sous-son of, like, uh, asparagus. And there's a just a flutter of, like, a, like a nutty Edom cheese. Wow. Wow, indeed. Wine tasting is all about the wow. It's both an art and a science. But whether you know what to sniff for in a bouquet or you can tell on first sip if it's full-bodied, ultimately it's safe to say that the human body is going to be guiding you through that experience. No. That was the case until now. Artificial intelligence is now popping bottles. And for a look at how exactly computer code measures mouthfeel and more, I'm joined by Alex Pouget. He's a neuroscientist at the University of Geneva. He's in London. Alex, hello. Hello. How does a neuroscientist get involved in wine? It's a bit of a long story. <laughs> Basically, when I was in my early 20s and I, I got exposed to wine for the first time, uh, and more specifically to Bordeaux wine by a friend of my dad's, uh, I really got into it, uh, but had decided to become a neuroscientist. Um, but I was learning about techniques that we call deep learning today, which is the, the, at the heart of modern AI. And I already had this idea that this deep learning technique might be useful to study wine. So I thought I would do that as part of my PhD, um, but never found the right partner. And there we are, 30 years later, I, I finally found the, the people who had the right data and Nobody had done uh, what I wanted to do in the 80s, so I thought, well, let's do it. Tell me about artificial intelligence and using it on wine, because AI, I mean, we're at the, you know, the, this dawn of a new era when it comes to deep learning, machine learning, and what it's going to do for all of us. How did you think, come to think that it could be used on wine? Well, wine is a very complex mixture. It's, it's thousands of different molecules, and we have very little understanding on how you go from that to a taste. Um, and we have um, not that much understanding about how you go from uh, a soil in which you grow vines to the wine mm. uh, two or three years later in the case of Bordeaux. And so I figured this is exactly the kind of complex problem where modern AI, in particular what we call machine learning, might be useful. What would you hope that machine learning could, could learn more broadly about wine? Well, basically, I was hoping it would do the hard work for me. Um, <laughs> and the hard work is I give you, indeed, like the chemical spectrum of a wine, 
And um, I want to answer a question about the wine, such as uh, which domain, which estate is this, or chateau, as we like to say in French. And that's hard because when we make measurements, like in this particular study that we just published, we have 30,000 measurements per wine. So how do I know which one to look at? Uh, and that's what modern AI can help because the algorithm will look on its own for the interesting part of the chemical spectrum and figure out which one can help you for the question you're asking. Okay, so explain how you did this because, again, AI interpreting language or other forms of data makes sense, but it's not, you know, the computer can't taste anything, the computer can't smell anything. So, how does this work? Yeah, that's an interesting part. Um, the computer cannot see anything unless you, you, you put a camera and you, you plug it to a camera, right? So we need basically a camera, but for chemical uh, molecules. For molecules. Um, so we don't have very good ones, but we have at least one technique that's called chromatography. And it's basically a technique in which uh, you put your sample in that machine and what comes out is like the electrocardiogram of the wine. I say electrocardiogram because it looks like one. It looks like a line where it's kind of flat and once in a while you have a peak and then it's flat and then you have a peak and so on. And the peaks correspond to a different molecule that you have in your wine. So that's going to be my input. It's like an image for a computer algorithm that's going to do, do face recognition, except that now I want to take this chromatogram, plug into my machine and guess which wine it is. Uh, so that's how we're going to work. That's the measurement, is this chromatography, and the algorithm will figure out how to use that to recognize the wine. I'd heard this referred to as kind of looking at the, like the chemical fingerprints of, of the wine. Does that make sense? Yes, that, that makes sense. But that, that was indeed exactly the question, is that is it true that if you look at some expensive uh, Bordeaux wine, and because the one that we studied here are expensive, are they truly unique? Do they have a chemical fingerprint across vintages? Because every year they, they make their wine somewhat differently. Uh, and yet people will tell you, oh, yeah, no, this is the essence of chateau, whatever. They, they will argue forever that certain chateaux have specificity that others don't have. Mm. Uh, but the reality is that that never been established with an objective measurement. I think people might still be confused as to how you break that down. They think of a glass of wine and they think, how are you, how are you analyzing those chemical fingerprints in the wine? Oh, you mean, how do I get the chemical fingerprints yeah, yeah. or how, how, how like, do I analyze? Well, how, how do you yes. get them? How do, how do you actually get, how do you take that, what's in that glass of wine and kind of break it down? It's actually not hard. Um, well, <laughs> I said, because I never build a machine. He says as a uh, neuroscientist, but, but yes, continue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's actually pretty easy. You take a sample of wine, you evaporate it, so it becomes a gas. That's what we call it, a gas chromatography. And you inject that into a tube that's about a millimeter wide, so you know, a little thicker than a hair. Uh, but it's 30 meters long. It's very long. And so you put your sample in there, it travels, and what happens is chemicals, depending on their shape, their size, their chemical properties, will travel along the tube at different speeds. So they come out at the other end at different times. And that's what we measure. We measure the density of stuff that comes out at the other end as a function of time. And that's the electrocardiogram that I was talking about with like this flat line that suddenly gives you a peak. When you have a peak, it's because a molecule just came out. So that's, that's how it works. Outside of the lab, what is the value of something like this? Uh, indeed, so far, it's really, it's basic science. That's what it is right now. But there are many applications. So one thing we found that was quite surprising to me at least, is that among those seven chateaux that we studied, um, you can give me their chemical spectrum, those chromatograms, and I can tell you with 100% precision which wine it is. The obvious application right away is fraud detection. 
people pay a fortune at auction houses for those wines. And so typically they want to know before they dump, you know, literally twenty, thirty thousand dollars for a case of this wine. Is it the wine that that I'm paying for? Uh, and in fact, there's a very there's a fabulous documentary that came out a few years ago called Sour Grapes mm. that tells the story of an American who indeed was faking Burgundy uh, in his garage and was selling it at Sotheby's for a fortune. So how would this determine that, partially, I guess it's, it's through that fingerprint, right? That that the, the case of Burgundy you're buying is not something that's made in, in my basement, but that it actually comes from a chateau. You, you would be able to determine uh, which is real and which isn't real. Yeah, in principle, that's the idea, is that we would have to get a little sample out of the bottle, uh, which is a bit of a challenge right there because <laughs> there's a cork between you and, and the wine. Uh, but we actually have devices now that allows you to just extract with a needle just a tiny sample, and we would put it in our machine and then have our learning algorithm look at it mm. and say, yeah, that's the chateau you paid for. Aside from busting the fraudsters, what else do you think would be an application, a practical application for this? Ah, so we can do almost anything we want because with learning algorithms, alg- algorithms like this one, you can basically take the same measurement and ask any question you like. Uh, one that we're very interested in is what the French call assemblage. Uh, it's basically how you blend different grapes to make a wine. So um, this is in North America. It's not as well known because, you know, you go to market and you buy a cab. Uh, but a Bordeaux is made of at least four different kinds of grapes. Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Merlot as in sideways, uh, that's all about Merlot, and, and Petit Verdot. And every year they mix those things in, in different proportion, depending, you know, how the season was. Was it dry? Was it wet? Was it hot? And so on. So they changed the blend, and they tried nonetheless to preserve the identity of their chateau. Mm. And that's an art. Uh, and there we could absolutely help with that. We could, we could help the, the winemakers uh, to understand how to blend things. The rich chateau, the one that have lots of money, you know, they pay the best in the business. They don't need us. Uh, but the winemaker is not so rich and selling his, his wine for a 5 or $10 bottle. It could be wonderful because it's not a very expensive uh, method uh, and, and it could help them just make a better wine. Do we have a sense, does it help answer some of those, those mysterious questions about, and you hinted this at the beginning, why certain wines in certain areas end up tasting the way that they do. There's this idea of terroir, that that's the place that it's grown in um, speaks to the wine, and it's the soil, and it's the environment, and what have you. Will it help answer some of those questions? Yeah. So, in fact, one of the, to me, the, the most interesting result in our study um, was the map that we generated from the chromatogram. So, you, you take this chemical fingerprint, and with another technique from AI, uh, you turn that into a 2D map. So, each wine becomes a point on your on your map, right? And it's, it's a map derived from the chemical structure. And so we did that. And when you do that, you find uh, something that looks like the map of Bordeaux. That is, uh, wines that are nearby tends to have similar chemical signatures. Uh, and overall, it looks like the map of Bordeaux. What it tells you that, indeed, the chemical structure of the wine reflects this famous terroir. Mm. Um, and now we can start studying, you know, what is it? Is it the geology? Is it the climate? Is it uh, the winemaking techniques? Uh, and so on. So we've, we finally have the tools to start digging into this. Let me ask you just finally about climate. We've had a number of conversations on this program about how there are wine regions in the world that are threatened because of, of changing climate and climate change, whether it's that it's too hot, whether there's not enough water, whether there might be wildfires and the smoke taints the wine. 
how would this ability to examine the chemical fingerprint of the wines um, perhaps help those winemakers who might be threatened by climate change? So precisely. So given that we can now tell them what is their chemical fingerprint, uh, that becomes a goal, right? We can help them, as I was saying, for instance, by changing the blend to preserve this identity, Mm. despite the fact that indeed uh, it's going to be very different wine. Like when the first, uh, I'm, I'm skipping a step here, which is that what they do is they typically make a wine for each of the grapes separately, and then they blend them. Um, and that's this wine is going to evolve with climate change. It's not going to be the same wine in 20 years than it is now. But with the tool that we have, we might be able to help them blend them in a way that preserve nonetheless the, uh, you know, the, the, the soul of a typical chateau. Uh, using those techniques. This is AI for good. I mean, you tweeted about this, machine learning finally put to good use without any risk of humanity being wiped out. Do you worry about about the potential of artificial intelligence to, I don't know, turn us uh, into, yeah. you know, irrelevant species on this planet because the, the machine will be smarter than we are? Uh, I do. I do. I know it's a big debate in AI, you know, some, some uh, like among the people who got the Turing Prize for uh, the discovery of those learning algorithms that we use, uh, you've got a Canadian who uh, you probably know, Jeff Hinton, yes. who is quite worried. But uh, his friend and colleague, Yann Lequin, uh, says, oh, don't worry. Uh, so I'm more on Jeff's side. I think that um, the military application is the real worry. Um, I don't know how we're going to stop them. Everybody is going to use them. Uh, and I think that is something we have to seriously worry about. And there is an existential threat, I think, to humanity not in two years, don't panic, but uh, things are going so fast that it could be in 20 years, it could be in a century, but I don't think we can ignore that. I think we have to be very, very careful about this. As somebody who loves wine, does studying like this, breaking it down to its most elemental levels, I mean, does that change your appreciation for a beautiful glass of wine? Uh, at least it makes me a little bit more confident that when I dump hundreds of dollars into a bottle, which I've done a few times in my life, <laughs> uh, I'm really getting something unique. Uh, uh, because, you know, when you try a wine for the first time, it's, it's sometimes a bit difficult to figure out whether it's something incredible or not. You need the experience. Um, and so uh, it's reassuring to know that um, we have objective reasons to believe that those things are indeed unique. Then it's up to my brain to decide whether it likes it or not. It doesn't take away any of the magic of opening something and thinking, this is incredible. And I have no idea why, but it's it's delicious and wonderful. My colleague, uh, Stéphanie Marchand, who is a co-author on the paper, has a very nice way of putting it. She says, uh, we're starting to get intimate with wine, with those techniques, but we're not undressing them yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's where we are. This is really interesting work. And again, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. This is, as you said, perhaps AI for good. Alex, thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. Alex Puget is a professor at the University of Geneva, and his research was published in the journal Communications Chemistry. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.